I'm Anne Louise Gittleman, and here we are with the First Lady of Nutrition podcast, a very, very special guest. He's actually one of my favorite nutrition writers of all time. He's a Renaissance fan, to be exact. His name is Johnny Bowden, and not only is he a wonderful nutritionist and the author of many best-selling books, but he's a musician, he's an athlete, and he, of all writers, is the most engaging and most impeccable. So I want to welcome you, my best-selling author friend, and ask, how are you today? I'm great. How are you? I'm wonderful, and I know you want to speak about a subject which is near and dear to your heart. And <laughs> I think this is so, so innovative, and that's the whole topic of medical bullying. So tell me what being a medical bully is all about. Well, you know, it's interesting because uh, when your assistant asked me what would I like to talk about, I didn't really at first think it was going to be that. I thought, well, gosh, you know, I'd love to talk about my book that just came out, Living Low Carb, or the book that's about to come out, The Great Cholesterol Myth, the revised edition. And then I thought, what do these things have in common? Well, they're both reactions to medical bullying, to doctors saying you must take a statin drug and cholesterol causes heart disease, and we're not listening to any alternative theories, and carb diets are dangerous, and all of that stuff, really what they have in common, all the books I've written really uh, kind of have a truth to power kind of vibe to them, if you will. And uh, that's why I kind of picked medical bullying. I'll give you a perfect example. I have a very dear friend. She is in her 60s. She is not a pound overweight. She exercises at Equinox fanatically five or six times a week. She eats fabulously. Her cholesterol is elevated from what they consider to be the normal amount. And her doctor told her that if she doesn't go on a statin drug, he will stop seeing her as a patient. That's medical bullying. She does not need a statin drug. Okay. That's, so, that's, so, that's uh, medicine by prescription and by the numbers, not by the patient. So we're not in the era of the doctor knows best anymore. Well, for many people, we are. And that's kind of what, <laughs> what you and I make our careers doing, saying, guys, the doctor, the doctor doesn't, doesn't know this. <laughs> I mean, sometimes they do. But, but you know, to assume that everything your doctor tells you is true because he's a doctor is just ludicrous. I mean, I, I have heard people, uh, you know, my friends and people that I know uh, ask me nutrition questions and they go and say, well, I'm gonna ask my doctor about it and I, I just roll my eyes. That to me is like asking your accountant about golf tips. Now, you, now your might be a good golf, golf didn't learn it in accounting school. He learned it on his own. And any doctor who knows anything about nutrition, and there are many, not, not thousands, but there are many, they didn't learn it in medical school. So when I, I, I remember, I mean, here's a great example, personal life, medical bullying. My mother was in the hospital um, the last time uh, she ever was in the hospital because she died there. She had congestive heart failure. I said, I want her at least whatever else you're doing. I want her on CoQ10. They said, what is that? Oh, my goodness. I print, printed out. And this, is, this is pre-internet. I printed out 50, count them, 50 pages of research from the NIH, from the uh, PubMed.gov, which is the National Institute of Medicine Library. Every published study in the world is on there. I printed out 
50 pages of research on congestive heart failure and coenzyme Q10. They wouldn't budge. They didn't know what it was. It's some kind of enzyme. Yeah, we don't give that stuff. So that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about medical bullying. And we need people to stand up to that, not to discount everything your doctor says just on general principles, but to, to take that with a grain of salt. salt. They don't know everything. And the problem, Anne Louise, and I think you'll agree with me on this, is that they think they know everything. It's nothing wrong with not knowing everything. God knows I don't know everything, but I don't think I do. And doctors do. And that's where the bullying comes in. So how do we stop the medical bullying? So you go to your doctor and he says, you need a statin drug. And you say, I don't think I need a statin drug. Maybe I need nutritional intervention. I need CoQ10. I need D-ribose. I need magnesium. I need carnitine and yeah, so yeah. forth. And what do you do with a doctor that says, I'm not going to see you anymore if you don't take the statin? Do you just get you treat, another doctor? That's what I recommend, my friends. As soon as the doctor says, I don't care what your particle count is. I don't even know what that is. I don't care what your inflammatory markers are. I just know that your total cholesterol is over 200. You need to be on the statin. I change doctors. So, That's a dying breed. Hopefully, they'll be gone soon. So but still very much around. Where, where could my listeners get a listing, a, a wonderful listing of functional or integrative medicine doctors that would be able to work as a partner in their own health journey? That very well put. Um, what I always tell people is there is a, a very wonderful resource source in front of our noses. The Institute for Functional Medicine is what started the whole functional medicine thing. In the, in the first place, that's Jeffrey Bland. It used to be Jeffrey Bland's group. He invented the term functional medicine, as you well know. Yes. And the Institute of Functional Medicine has a little tab on their website called Find a Practitioner. And every one of the practitioners on there has been certified in or gone through advanced courses in functional medicine, which for any of your listeners who might not know what that is, it is looking at the body at all, as a whole, seeing how different organs and systems integrate with each other, other into each other. So for example, a functional medicine doctor wouldn't just look at your adrenals or wouldn't just look at thyroid. They'd look at both, both as they talk to each other. So the functional medicine doctor is trained in how the body functions, how it works together. So they're going to look at the gut. They're going to look at lifestyle. They're going to look at stress. They're going to look at nutrition. You're not going to get that with a regular doctor. So if you go to a functional medicine doctor, or I would also add to that list of people who would be uh, a different perspective, um, uh, licensed naturopaths. Now, not every state licenses naturopaths. So you can get naturopaths who just went to an online college, you know, but you, you, the ones that went to med medical like Baxter and did clinical rounds and all that, they are licensed in certain number of states. One of those, their natural training is like functional medicine. So I would say either a licensed naturopath or someone trained in functional medicine. Okay, so I, I don't disagree with one iota of everything you're saying. This is, you're, you're, you're singing my song, you're, we're rewriting the rules of nutrition, but my, my, my interest in all this is truly what the place of nutrition is in people's medical education. So are, are, have we improved? In other words, are most medical doctors now having more nutritional courses? To the best of my knowledge, last time I looked, there were, there were something like less than 20% of medical schools in the country offer even one, one nutrition course. 
Um, so I don't think that's changed. And you know, you go to conferences. I see you at conferences. There are nutritional medicine conferences all over the country. Not a lot of them, but there are some. American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine, the American College of Nutrition, the, uh, you know, and you know what you see? You see the same 300 doctors at every one of these conferences. Yes, you do. There the is same a, damn 300 doctors now. Always, you consistently. Know? You're right. You know how many doctors there are in America? America? Physicians, licensed physicians, over 800,000. So do the math. You got the same 300 people showing up at the conferences where they integrate nutrition and medicine. Most of them have no friggin' idea how to do it. So how do we start to change this? You know, you talk about a bully pup pulpit. It's kind of like a bullying pulpit. So mm -hmm. is there a real, and I know the answer to this, but I, I need our, our listeners to fully appreciate this. What do you think is the true power of the industry to influence recommendations, nutritional recommendations, and the influence of dietary establishment on media stories about nutrition and health? Do you think that there is a complicit media with all of this conventional medicine therapy? And does it have to do with big pharma, big food, and big medicine? That's a great and complex question. Let me take it, uh, let me chop it down to, to manageable bits. And I'll give you some examples of where this, in my life as a writer, and as someone who writes for a lot of magazines, I have three columns that are regular now, and I used to have others. And, you know, so I've been writing for magazines a long time. This is what happens. Someone like me writes an article. They have a fact checker. The fact checker, checker is 12 years old. I'm kidding, of course, but they're very, very, very young, young yes. new and out of college. And who do you think they fact check with? Dietitians, spokespersons for the American Dietetic Association, and doctors. So if I say you need two to four grams of fish oil a day, they go to a dietitian and they say, oh, no, you can get everything you need from food. So now it's not even the media. It's like you can't get past the fact checkers because they don't really understand facts. They just understand how to look stuff up and yeah. with a lot of letters after their name. And you and I may have some letters, but we're not faculty at Yale and we're not, not faculty at Harvard. And guys are very conservative. I mean, I would not want to have a PR battle with someone like David Katz, head of the department at Yale University. He is as backwards when it comes to nutrition as any human being I have ever heard speak, but he's the head of the department at Yale, and when he speaks, the world listens. So how do we combat that? It's, it, it, you know, and he's not a bad guy. He's just an epidemiologist. All he does is look at, like, patterns of what people do. He just, he, you know, any that's come up in the last 20, 20 years misses. Because it's all about like, well, when people eat greens, they do well. You know, so no, 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 I know. I know. you're looking at a very different way of looking at things. And unfortunately, the deck is, uh, is kind of loaded in, in favor of these people because they're the ones the fact checkers go to. They're the ones the magazine editors uh, go to because they don't want to publish something that they could be sued for. So who are they going to get approval from? A very conservative mainstream doctor and that's kind of the challenge we have in getting our message to the public i will tell you something else that i'll bet your audience doesn't know and i i, I don't know the last time you worked with with companies natural products comes company but i know you've, you've worked them so i know no and it resonate and i can just see you nodding as i tell you right we, i work with a company that makes fish oil you would think that I would be allowed to speak about published 
studies from the Journal of the American Medical Association and the New England Journal of Medicine. There are thousands of studies in prestigious recognized journals talking about the effects of fish oil. Do you know that I am prohibited by, by well, it's not actually truly law, but it's fear of the, of the FTC and the FDA. I'm not permitted to mention any of those established properties of omega-3 because I work with a company that makes them. Oh my gosh. Now you, no, oh, this is, I, you can't, and Louise, we could talk about this. I've done infomercials where I, we had to take a break. I had to get on the phone with the legal department and we would have shouting matches. And I said, I'm showing a study that was published in JAMA. You're telling me I can't do that? They said, yep, we're telling you you can't do that. Unbelievable. Yep, the FDA will come down on us. Now, compare that to these BS commercials you see for every drug, drug in the world where they use every cycle, and you know I trained in psychology, I have a master's in psychology, this stuff is old hat to me. They use all of the things that communicate feelings and information, like music. Yes. Like the, uh, so you'll, you'll see this beautiful music and you'll see people, you know, leaping through the fields and all that, and then a, a, a much lower volume, almost indecipherable, they will have someone read all the side effects. You would deadly. Yeah, which are deadly, you know. It, it can eat your flesh and it can destroy your heart. Meanwhile, people are dancing, music is uplifting, and that's how they communicate what their drugs do. We can't even say that sure lowers inflammation. And you know what else they're up to next? They're going to make inflammation, which I know you must have talked about a million times because it's one of your themes in life, just like it's one of my themes in life. Um, you are going to not, I, mark my words, they are going to, uh, make inflammation a disease, and you will not even be able to say that any of these supplements are anti-inflammatory because you will be making a disease claim. Oh it's already gosh. it's already started to happen. I, I won't mention the companies, but I worked with a company or two where I was reading an article about the anti-inflammatory properties of some supplements. They said, oh, you can't say that anymore. Are you kidding? Well, what do you think we take this supplement for? Oh, my God. It's an anti-inflammatory. We can't say that? No, you can't because inflammation is, uh, is, is kind of flirting with a medical condition. So this is, this is rather alarming. And, and, I, and I know well, if, if, yeah. if we talk about the creation and marketing of the low-fat diet, for example, can you take us through that? I mean, that's an area that you and I both share. In so what, what, what was the question? Uh, it was it was a mythology of the efficacy of the efficacy of the low fat diet. Uh, explain the, the kind of bullying that went on with the creation and marketing of that whole concept. <laughs> oh, you got an hour? Yeah. Uh, I, uh, let me do a shameless plug for a wonderful documentary that you're going to want to see and tell people about as soon as it starts to become available. It just premiered out here in March um, last week in, in, in California. And it's, it's headed for Amazon, but it may be a few months before it's on there. And it's called uh, Fat Fiction. And the movie stars Mark Hyman as the narrator. Uh, I'm in it. Dr. Timothy Noakes is in it. Harry Taubes is in it. Nina Eichloch is in it. Uh, 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 Sarah, Sarah, all these biggies in the low carb movement are in it. And they tell the story of how we got hoodwinked on this low fat nonsense. And it is an incredible story. And I'll tell you, the fact that we're in, you and I are recording this during this coronavirus scare, there is a wonderful opportunity here to explain what happened during the low fat years. So the way we're all scared of the coronavirus, 
So in the 50s, you had Dwight Eisenhower was the president. And he was beloved. This is pre-partisan politics when the country kind of united again. It, it just wasn't like it is today. And yes. everybody loved Eisenhower. I mean, Mike, I'm a Democrat. I loved Eisenhower. Everybody loved Eisenhower. Everybody liked Ike. Everybody liked Ike. He's a nice guy. He's a smart guy. He's a, a war hero. He's a general. And he, yes. Okay. So he gets a heart attack in office. And the country kind of went, I wouldn't say as crazy as it's going today, but remember, heart attacks weren't common they weren't people didn't know about heart disease it's the 50s it's like what is this stuff i mean they didn't there was not even a profession called cardiology until like the 20s so we're not talking about something that you know everybody knew about in 1955 just people dropping of heart attacks so here it was eisenhower with this heart attack and everybody started scrambling in this kind of coronavirus type terror like what are we going to do this is epidemic heart disease now into that morass there was an extremely authoritarian, I know best kind of a guy who stepped into the board and said, I have the answer. And his name was Ansel Keys. We've gone through this. I mean, this is an old story. It's been told by all the low carb people many times. I tell it in, uh, in both Living Low Carb and, and in uh, The Great Colossus because it's a very central uh, story to how we wound up in this place. And it's Ansel Keys on pretty much nothing's observations and his trips to Italy, decided that the Mediterranean diet was so healthy because it didn't have saturated fat in it. Now, number one, he was wrong about that. <laughs> number two, he had no data about that, but he believed it. And what he did was an epidemiological study where he looked at seven different countries. And sure enough, he found a correlation between how much fat they eat and how much heart disease they had. Now, that study couldn't even have published today. It was so bad. But it showed a trend. Now, he ignored a lot of data. Somehow, it didn't make it into the 70s. I don't know why. They eat they, a saturated fat and they have no heart disease. At least they didn't at the time. Um, they weren't eating American diet at the time. So he kind of cherry-picked the evidence, picked the countries where there was a correlation. There were plenty of countries where there was no correlation. Collected the data in a sloppy manner. He collected one of the, uh, uh, the uh, areas in Greece was collected during um, during Lent, when people were giving up food and stuff. So, you know, it's not a representative uh, a study at all of what they were really eating. No. So he came up with this thing, and he was the kind of, he was just, just think, I, I, I don't know what a modern version of, of this guy would be, but he was a very, very persuasive, authoritarian, tolerated dissent, and he somehow got his theories accepted uh, by the powers that be. And the American Heart Association went along and the government. Now remember, everyone's panicked. We have no idea what heart disease is, what's causing heart disease. So this guy's walking in and said, I've got the solution. People tend to listen. And somehow this became the consensus advice in the 80s. And there's always been an active and vocal minority saying, this is BS. George Mann, one of the researchers, said this was the biggest scam ever perpetrated on the American people. True. So there were all the people who doubted, but the powers that be were able to control the messaging. And everybody became afraid of fat. And an entire industry came about to, you know, to make low-fat foods. And, and then once it got in place, everybody who said, wait a minute, the emperor not only is naked, but <laughs> he's kind of smelly. I mean, we just got shouted down. 
And that's kind of an example, I think, of what I'm talking about. I mean, when you have at your disposal millions of dollars and, and lobbyists and organizations that sound prestigious, American Heart Association, the American Diabetes Association, um, you, it's very hard to counter that message, Anne Louise. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, it's impossible. And you know, I was one of the first to counter the message. You were. So and, I, and I how did that go? <laughs> we're, still, the, we're still fighting for it. We're still fighting the good fight. How many 40 years later? So right. I, I quite understand all that. Uh, and I saw firsthand the, uh, the pros and many of the cons of the low fat diet where people were fighting to see how high their cholesterol was. If it was below 130, they thought they were doing something beneficial for their systems. Little did we know the immune system went south. So there, there was all kinds of ramifications, and I and I think that your um, your metaphor there is a good one, and I think you can talk about the same notion in terms of the, the, the medical bullying that goes on with the cholesterol causes heart disease myth. So do you want to just tackle that for a few minutes? Well, I mean, cholesterol doesn't cause heart disease. It just doesn't. It's very, very clear that it doesn't. It is involved in heart disease like dozens of other compounds. There's some cholesterol in, in plaque. There's also calcium. There's also bacteria in plaque. There's also, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff in plaque. Somehow they got it in their heads. This was, a, you know, that it was all caused by cholesterol when in fact that isn't, and I talk about this in the great cholesterol myth. I have a, a section now called, in the new edition called Cholesterol 101, which actually talks about how cholesterol gets into the bloodstream, what it does once it's there, where it goes once it's finished. And you can see that it, it doesn't just stick to the arteries. It's a very, very different and much more complex uh, process. And it always, not sometimes, always involves inflammation and oxidative damage. Looking at, looking at the cholesterol, once it's there, how about figuring out what's getting it damaged in the first place? Because cholesterol, here's the secret, folks, is never a problem when it's not damaged, when it's not oxidized or, or uh, inflamed. Correct. Plain old cholesterol doesn't bother anybody. No, so why don't we look at what's causing so much inflammation? And, you know, it's interesting. I heard a wonderful interview. Uh, Mark Hyman had... Uh, um, Alessio Fazio, I, I, I can't remember his name, but he's one of the world, he's the guy who, uh, in, who discovered Zolunin and, and one of the for, former uh, celiac experts in the world. Yes, 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 that's where I recognize his name. Yeah, yeah, I just don't remember how to pronounce, how to pronounce it. pronounce it. You know, but, but he was saying uh, essentially the same kind of thing. It's like, uh, you get these ideas and they are very, very hard to dislodge. They just are very, very difficult to dislodge. I, I know that because perception becomes reality and it's still very hard to dislodge the, the, the low fat myth as well as the cholesterol, uh, cholesterol heart disease myth and the statins certainly uh, prevent it. Any other big examples of medical bullying that you can oh, think God, of? Oh, God, yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah, 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 just I'm like a wind-up doll on this. But you know what I was going to say with, with, I think it's Fazio, Fazio is his last name. I'm not sure. Don't tell me on that. But this gluten expert, and he is internationally known for this. It's F-A-S-S-I-O, by the that's, way. That's exactly who it is. And you know what he told Mark Hyman? He said, you know, when we first started researching celiac and gluten sensitivities, 
they laughed at us. They bullied us. They, they basically, that can't be true. If it's not celiac, it doesn't, they, they wouldn't mean gluten sensitivity. They did the same thing, thing the same thing to the discover to kill Macaulay, the discoverer of homocysteine. Homocysteine, yes. He was a, he was a researcher, wasn't he? And he says, you know what? I'm looking at this data and it seems that homocysteine is more related to heart disease than cholesterol. You know what wound up happening to him? His lab was moved to the basement. His funding was cut off. His research assistants, they literally drove him out of Harvard. Oh, and 25 years later, 25 years later, they reinstated him. He's back at Harvard now. It's a great story of vindication, but I don't think those 25 years will be very pleasant when he was exiled out from the scientific community for bring to question orthodoxy. That's bullying. How about another one? Fibromyalgia. That's all you got to say. How many women were told that's all in their head? How many women were put on antidepressants as the only treatment for fibro because it's clearly all in your head? I mean, there's probably a list of a dozen diseases like that. Where we yes, get- or the medicalization of menopause. Oh, exactly. The, the guy whose name I'm still not getting right um, mentioned that leaky gut, which is, you know, as you know, a cornerstone of the uh, belief system and theories of all of us in this integrative or functional nutrition world, um, that used to be believed to be a fiction, made up. There's no such thing as intestinal permeability or leaky gut. No, it can't be. And he talked about how they were almost laughed out of the profession for even discussing that. Now, of course, it is an accepted thing. Doctors are, not only do they think they know everything, they're incredibly conservative. And very, very stubborn sometimes. And, yes. and I, I hate to say the whole profession's like that, but a, a lot of them are, and a lot of us deal with doctors like that, and, and just do what they say and don't even look to see if it might be another approach. I have another question for you. What do you think is, the, what do you think is on the horizon for nutrition? In other, words, in other words, what are going to be some of the other issues that are going to become a medical bullying issue what are the horizons what is on the uh what what are we looking at i mean we've finished with gluten hopefully the gluten <laughs> the gluten revolution or gluten awareness has, has now subsided we're talking about glyphosates we're talking about nano aluminum maybe we're talking about ems but what is on the next horizon in terms of nutrition well i think i don't know whether this really goes to medical bullying i mean the people who do medical bullying are able to bully over almost anything. So we really don't know what the next thing they're going to pick is. Um, But I think what's on the horizon for the field of nutrition is the same thing that's on the horizon for the field of medicine. And that is personalized medicine, personalized nutrition. I think we are going to move away from them. We've been saying, you and I have been saying along with our colleagues, one diet never works for everybody. There's no one size fits all in diets. We've been saying it, but people still look for it. They still think to find the magic diet or magazine or what celebrities lost weight on. And that's got to be the diet. They still tend to think that. But I think that the cutting edge of nutrition is going to say, um, let's really investigate individual characteristics. I, I know that a lot of people are trying to build their diets based on DNA testing. I think that 
that's not up for prime time yet. I don't think the things like 23andMe and some of these things are enough to build a diet on. They, they have, they're kind of very interesting, like astrology charts. You know what I mean? They have some things, oh, that could be true, but I don't own them 30,000 genes. They can say 10 nine. So I, I don't think it's really enough, but I do think that that field is going to explode. It's going to get more sophisticated and we will be able to, to tell somebody how much vitamin D they need and you know whether they do better on carbs or protein or fat and i think we will we will get better at personalized nutrition and just as we're getting better at personalized medicine and what's on the horizon for johnny bowden my friend as we wind up the first lady of nutrition <laughs> podcast I am very, very excited about the great cholesterol myth coming out and about it being a companion piece to living low carb. I'm excited about the movie, uh, the uh, fat fiction, and I just am going to be, be promoting those things and talking, talking about issues that are talked about in those books, which is everything you and I have talked about today from medical bullying, but more importantly to things like cholesterol and its relationship to heart disease and low carb diets and their relation to health and all of the stuff that really the media just does not really cover fairly. And, and I'm just going to be out there being like you, another voice, hopefully getting some people to listen and uh, making uh, changes in some people's lives. And hopefully that will at some point reach a tipping point. More and more people will insist on that kind of personal integrative medicine and, and will stop listening to doctors, doctors who never opened a nutrition textbook in their lives. Yes. And so if we were to synthesize all the wonderful major points that you've covered, I think number one is that if your doctor doesn't agree to be a partner in your own health journey, find another doctor, fire your yeah. doctor. That's yes. number one. And then you can look at the Institute of Functional Medicine and find a practitioner on that particular website. Yes. All right, so that's number one. Number two, that there are a lot of myths out there that have been subject to medical bullying, and that's because and they've become kind of truce in the American lexicon or yeah. in the American, um, how do we say this, in, in, the, uh, in, the, in the general public because they've been perpetuated for so long. Yeah. Sure. And that doesn't mean they're true by any means. And then, and then the other thing I think is important is to really be able to see through the power of the industry to kind of manipulate our perceptions of what's true and what's not. I couldn't say it better. Well, you, you, you gave me your wonderful talking points, so you did say it better. But no, I, I don't know about that. And that's because you're one of my very favorite writers. So I want to thank you so much. Uh, so what, what should everybody be looking for? Where do they find you, Johnny Bowden? JohnnyBowden.com is my website. And there's no H in Johnny, J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W-E-N. Also on Twitter, at Johnny Bowden, Facebook book, Dr. Jowden, and Instagram, at Johnny Bowden, J-O-N-N-Y-B-O-W-D-E-N. And where, where do your columns appear? Uh, better nutrition, clean eating. I have an Ask Johnny Bowden column. It used to be called Ask the Doc, and I for seven years, and I write for Whole Foods magazine as well, once a month. Very lovely. So I want to thank you again. Lots of love to you. Stay safe. Thank you.